Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Creative Kaleidoscope. I'm your host, Russell Dunn. Today's episode includes some wonderful hometown Detroit talent. This past week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the author and amateur photographer, Reach Savage, as well as the very talented director, writer, and filmmaker, Cole Seeger. But before we check out those interviews, let's get started on this week's painting. All right, we're starting out this week's canvas with a blank 16 by 20 stretch canvas. And I've laid down three pieces of sketchbook paper to outline for the start of our pyramids. And laying down a base layer of khaki brown color. And then a second layer of a gray color. I forget the exact name of it, but... And then a light layer of black on top of it. And then replacing the pieces of paper in the order that I want the pyramids to lay. I've also laid some stencils for two moons. And again, we're going to do our moons like we usually do. Some gray, some white, and some black. And we're going to use some crunched up newspaper to peel away for our texture on both the moons. And then we will replace the stencils on there after we add some depth to the moons. That's a little bit of black and a little bit of white on the back and the front. And now we're going to fill in the sky and the edges of the canvas and the edges of the paper stencils for the pyramids. Just real nice and easy with the black night sky and gonna add some shine back to the moons on the outer edges of the stencils there the cap stencils and gonna work some other colors in there gonna use some fluorescent yellow some fluorescent pink and just kinda toss it on there so to speak just just so when you hit the black light with it or any light shines on it it shines pretty cool and we're just kind of trying to keep it pretty random as far as the colors in the sky go. So just kind of easily spraying it on there, adding some shine off the top of the pyramids into the moons, some more white, and then we're going to add our stars. Shake off the excess paint from your finger with the white paint and just kind of flick the stars on how you want them. It's real simple. It's fun too. And then you're going to peel away those pieces of paper and you're going to be left with your pyramid designs. And we're going to put in a waterfall and some rock ledges. And you know, you can use whatever colors you feel that you want to for this. For this, I'm using a dark meadow green, a key lime green, and then a top coat of great purple and black. And just kind of easily spraying it back and forth there and a little bit of white. The black and the white kind of give it your depth and a little bit of texture to it. And we're going to use the newspaper again to work out the edges and just get that rock face how we want it. And with the palette knife, gonna work in some detail into that paint that we just laid down. And that'll kind of give you an idea of your rock face. Add some, some little details, some cracks and whatnot to your rocks. And now we're going to add in the waterfall. And we're just doing that by spraying some white paint onto an index card and just kind of working it down from the top of the rock face that we created and giving it that directional flow. And just take your time with this and just keep going. It's an easy fix if you make a mistake. Just, just keep working it. Now we're going to add in our water, which is nice and simple. 
just put it in that that lagoon blue and then deep blue some fluorescent green and some white and we're gonna use our fingers and just work out the water and we'll be back to keep working on this painting Ah, beautiful Michigan days and spray paint art. To me, there's no better feeling. When we get back, we're going to check out our first interview. Ah, low budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version. Yeah. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. It's geek approved. I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sweeping adventure where we try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. Hey, you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geektainment Weekly on new radio media. Turtle power! Welcome back. This week, I was very fortunate to snag some spare time from the very talented director, writer, and filmmaker, Cole Seeger. We sat down on the new radio media set to discuss his ongoing endeavors, Detroit and Michigan roots, and much more. Let's check it out. And welcome back to Creative Kaleidoscope, and I am joined by director, filmmaker, Cole Seeger. What's going on, Cole? Uh, everything's going really good. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining me, man. So first thing I want to ask you is, what was the first thing that made you realize you wanted to be a director or filmmaker? Um, well, for most of my life, I didn't actually want to be a director. Becoming, a, becoming involved in film was actually a fairly recent development in my life. For most of my life, I just wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write novels. I wanted to write um, poems and stuff like that. And uh, it was my first year of college after I got out of high school. Um, a friend of mine asked me to help her write the, um, the script for her thesis film. She was going to the Motion Picture Institute in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I helped her write it, and it was going to be like a prototype for like what was going to be a feature-length film. And we did it. And it was all right, but not necessarily what I envisioned it being. Mm -hmm. But it put me in contact with a lot of people who work in, in the film industry, and uh, I started picking their brain with, um, with my own ideas. And they said, you sound like a director. You should try that. And so after I went through a couple mis misguided years in college, I decided to go to the Motion Picture into Michigan, and that's when I got in. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Nice, nice. So growing up in Metro Detroit, how did that affect you creatively? Um, well, my dad was a big influence on me. Uh, his music... Uh, really really uh, there's a lot of motifs that he uses in his work that I use in my work um, a lot of water and lake uh, symbolism in it uh, a lot of sailing and uh, I'd say the person who influenced me the most as a writer are two of my teachers that I had in high school uh, Jennifer McQuillan who was my uh, honors English teacher uh, and uh, Stacy Mortimer who was my AP psych teacher those two really, really colored my um, my uh, my voice as a as an artist. I think. Cool, cool. So I guess if you had to prefer an area to work in a film, 
directing, writing, camera work? I would definitely say directing now. Mm -hmm. I love seeing an idea come, like progress from something that's just images and words and sentences inside my head and to see it take form into a script and then into storyboards and then into a budget, a shooting schedule and then it, it, I look on the video screen and suddenly it's now real. For sure. Yeah. I know we had had a conversation not too long ago about basically, you know, being your own worst critic and things like that. How do you get past that inner voice of being your own worst critic? Well, the way I always think about stuff like that is that, you know how like back in the day there was that whole thing about left brain, right brain mm -hmm. kind of thing? Well, for creative types, especially when it comes to writing and uh, filmmaking, is there are two sides to the brain. There's the writing side, there's the creative side mm -hmm. that, you know, every all the creative sparks come from that, all the ideas, all the the story, the plot, the vision, everything comes from there. And then on the other side of the brain, there's the editor's side, which is telling you that all those characters, all that stories, all the all that imagination, all that wonderful stuff you dreamed up, it, it's all trash. It's all garbage and you're a horrible person for thinking it. <laughs> um, and you need both of those sides to work in concert with each other because someone uh, with no editor will just throw random things at the wall and have no ability to restrain themselves or, or attempt at subtlety. It's just their thoughts poured out onto the canvas with no thought and no, um, or, sorry, no thought, no structure right. or no organization. And you just wind up with a mess. Um, but on the other hand, if you have too strong a critic, You'll start writing something on a page, stop halfway through because you're not satisfied with it, and for the rest of time, you'll just be rewriting that one half of the page. You'll never write anything because nothing you create will actually be good enough to satisfy that overactive editor in your head. So the way I do it is that when I'm creating something, mm -hmm. when I'm writing a script, I just write and I turn my critic, my editor completely off. I don't care about spelling mistakes. I don't care about... Well, I do care about grammar a little bit, but I just write what comes to mind. I need to get it down on paper. It needs to become solid. It needs to become real. And then, once I've gotten enough, like, say, like a couple pages or whatever, mm -hmm. I'll turn my editor on just a little bit and then go back and fix all that stuff. Uh, any stuff that might need to be adjusted and whatnot. Sometimes it definitely does get a little bit carried away, when I start losing faith in my original vision, uh, which is why I have uh, a number of people that I turn to for um, uh, second opinions and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but I think that I'm very, very hard on myself. I think way more than I am on the movies I watch, but I think that is what allows me to achieve a good deal of quality control. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So, as far as making a film, for you, what would be the most difficult part of making a film, and what do you find is the easiest part of making a film for you? Um, well, let's start with the hardest part, because I think the hardest part for me in general is the shot list. Uh, thinking and organizing visuals into specific shots, you have to think about like how... Um, What's the direction of the shot? Um, how long does the shot go on for? Um, where are the characters within the shot? How far away should the shot be? How much should we see? What details should we see? What details should be focused on? And just figuring that in concert with dozens and dozens of other shots and having it all fit together, mm -hmm. kind of, is really, it's a really, really daunting task because the way I always say it is that if you open one door in the creative process you're usually and you go through that door you're not going through 10 other doors right and you have to uh it's really it the struggle is about committing to ideas like when you pick a color palette you pick a specific style of cinematography or you or you pick um some 
aspect of the art style. You have to commit to that. You can't get bored with it and just change it up in the middle of the project because otherwise your work comes off as inconsistent and mm -hmm. scatterbrained. Um, as for the easiest part, what I found is that if you, this is assuming that you do your proper uh, pre-production and you're mm -hmm. prepared and you know what you want, I'd say the easiest part of it is actually shooting it. Because by that point, if you hire uh, good people, mm -hmm. the, there's this popular misconception in Hollywood that the director does like ever, is in charge of everything on set, when in really, directors don't do that much except for confer with their actors, look at the monitor, and ask maybe for tiny little adjustments here and there. Because mm -hmm. a good director makes sure everybody is on the same page as them that there's no miscommunication, everyone knows what the goal is. It's, um, it's, what, it's what my, uh, my cinematography teacher, uh, Rob Skate, said. You want everything in your film to feel like it was designed, that everything was a specific choice you made to augment your vision. So like once you get to that point, like because most of the director's work is done in pre-production, mm -hmm. in preparing, in choosing, how you're going to go about it and preparing and scheduling and all that. Once you get to shooting, like just actually capturing it on film, assuming also your actors know their lines and you coach them right. Um, the right way through their roles, shooting it just becomes a formality by then. Because yeah. you've done rehearsal, you've done preparation, and you just look at the frame and you go in for a take and then you say, yep, that's it. All right, let's move on. Absolutely. Well, one of the projects that you were recently working on is the 404 Diner. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, okay, so I was like on the verge of getting out of film school mm -hmm. when uh, my the head of the school, uh, I volunteered to uh, participate in the next year, in the next year's program by being the director in a class called Production Lab, which is basically... Um, the director writes or supplies a script and it's usually really short like around 10 pages or so and through the course of 10 weeks the students rotate through four different departments on set there's sound lighting camera and script supervising they spend two days on each and they get instruction from their teachers for about three hours and then for the last hour they go on sets under the um direction of a director and a first AD who are usually alumni mm -hmm. and they participate in like a mock set where you get like one or two shots off and so I wanted to write a original script for it because we'd been using this standard script you get out of a textbook called a slice of apple pie and if I heard the dialogue in that anymore I was going to murder somebody right. <laughs> um and I went to my buddy Ian Benzman, who's one of my writing partners, and I uh, pitched him an idea for a uh, Tarantino-esque crime thriller. And thankfully, he told me an entirely different idea because that idea was stupid. And he came up with the idea of the 404 Diner, which is, it's a sci-fi horror comedy that takes place in this idyllic, 50s all-american diner called the 404 diner and the main character sam is going about his daily routine there he's talking to his friends he's talking to his um his acquaintances there and he's going through his usual routine but something's wrong something's a little bit off something sinister is lurking behind the curtain and i don't want to spoil anything because mm -hmm. this is this is something where the ending changes everything and all mm -hmm. that but I'm really, really excited. We have we recently completed basically 85% of it, and we have one pickup date left. Oh, right on, right yeah. on. So other than that, what other projects does the future hold for you? Anything set in stone? Um, well, uh, I do work here at New Radio Media. <laughs> I'm a camera operator, and I write some of the scripts. Uh, working here has been an absolute blast. Mm -hmm. I know I'm biased but because of that, but uh, it's been an absolute blast working here. 
I've got tons of tons and tons of scripts in my head that I know for a fact I don't have the resources or talent to pursue right now. But I've got I've got a couple ideas through my head. Um, I've got plans for a dark comedy web series in the vein of uh, Veep or The Thick of It. That's okay. about a young uh, film production company, and uh, we'll be ta- I'll be uh, releasing more stuff about that in a little bit. Um, yeah, and uh, Ian, my writing partner, we're thinking about writing a feature together. Cool. Yeah, and I got a lot of things going on. Cool, cool. That's the imp- most important thing, I think, when you get out of film school, is you need to stay busy. You Absolutely. need to stay involved. Absolutely. And I guess if you had uh, one word or piece of advice for aspiring filmmakers and creators, what would it be? I would say... And this is in particular an advice I'd give to young directors and filmmakers is know what you want, know what you want, know what your vision is. Because I've seen so many um, artists fail because they don't know, they don't have a concrete idea of what their vision is or what they want, or they don't have, or in the case of a director, they don't know what they want or they're just not capable of communicating to people what they want. They don't know how to tell their cinematographer what kind of shot they want. They don't know how to tell their clothing people what kind of colors they want to go with, stuff like that. And the problem I found is, and it's something that I struggled with a lot when I was uh, an early artist, is that I would get stuck, I would be writing scripts and stories but I wouldn't be actually writing them I'd be stuck in the pre-conceptual stage where you're just thinking about all the different places the story can go and what kind of characters and what kind of twists and uh, amazing things you can put into it but you're not thinking about you're thinking about all the places it can go but you're not thinking about the fact that it has to all fit together into a cohesive narrative and a cohesive storyline right Um, because it doesn't have to. You're still in that foggy imagination stage. It's actually applying structure and making uh, decisions about what you want your your vision to be. That's when it becomes talent. Uh, That's when it becomes um, uh, difficult. Because it's like I said before, when you go through one door, you're saying no to 12 other doors. Right. Absolutely. Well, Cole Seeger, thank you so much for joining us here on Creative Kaleidoscope. Oh, thank you for having me, R.D. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be back on the other side. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, on with the painting. Stay tuned. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple thing. The things that are a testament to the old. The things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on NewRadioMedia.com. Guys, wait up. Hold on. Daddy said hold on. You know, I was thinking, Bill. Yeah. I'm ready for our show, and, and you're ready for the mm-hmm. show, but how do we let everyone know that we're ready for the show? Uh, slow motion rap video?
All right, time for a progress check on this week's painting. All right, we just finished up with our water ripples, and now we're adding in some the spray of where the waterfall would be hitting that water pool or pool of water rather and now I'm just adding a bank to the rock edge with a little bit of black and an index card as a stencil and now I'm adding in the other side of the lagoon another rock face or plant face whichever you prefer and I'm going to use the same colors pretty much a little bit different order and I'm actually gonna leave the key lime green out this time and just go with the black the green the meadow green the purple and the white and again using the newspaper to work out the designs that we want and just formulate our edge there and just keep working it and any excess paint that gets into the lagoon remember just wipe it away with your finger and it'll keep that nice water ripple effect in there and now I hit it with a little bit of clear coat so I can work some edges back in there with my palette knife and get some more detail in and all that too is going to get is going we're gonna go back over those detail lines once the painting is a little drier with our acrylic paint pen just to give it some more definition and I want to redefine those banks a bit more and just kind of work in the paint how I want it again with the index card and the black just the, the pure black there and I've got my rag to just kind of fix it up how I want it. And I'm going to actually redo that one. There we go. And some more white to really make that spray look a lot nicer. And now we're going to outline the pyramids with some black acrylic paint using the black acrylic paint pen. It just kind of makes the pyramids pop a bit more. And this is, again, you want to wait until these pyramids are dry because you want to keep your lines as straight as possible. So you might have to rest your palm or something on the canvas while you're doing it. So you try to make sure that everything is as dry as possible before you use your acrylic paint pens. Also, it keeps your acrylic paint pens fresh because they're not very cheap. And just work in the outlines of the pyramid. And making sure that they're all laid out how I want them to be. The front pyramid, the center pyramid being the one in the front with the two on either side appearing to be in the back. And one thing I haven't done to the pyramids with the spray paint is add the angle to it, which you would do by adding a straight edge down almost parallel with the side of the pyramid to the top, I guess you could say the, the point. But I actually end up doing that after this with the airbrush. Some little touches with the airbrush to make it more defined, which you'll actually see in the finished product. And right now we're adding in some trees, some palm trees. And the same way we always do the palm trees, just first we add the baseline for the trunk. And then we work almost like little M's, if you want to call them anything, like an M design for the palm tree trunk and then we add the palm fans and I like to add the baseline of the, the palm fans before I finish out the rest of the leaf and I just kind of fill it in all in with black 
but we'll be right back and see how this painting turns out. Coming up, an interview from another Michigan native, author and amateur photographer, Reach Savage. Sarah, are you ready for our new live streaming pop culture show? Show, I'm always ready. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> it. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, PodQuesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic, sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. Hey, you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geektainment Weekly on New Radio Media. Turtle Power! In my life, I have been extremely lucky to be very close with our next guest, Reach Savage. His photography work, as well as his writing, truly encapsulates the saying, Pure Michigan. We sat down on the NRM set to discuss his debut novel, Wilderness Exodus, and what it took to create it, as well as the stories behind a lot of his photography, work, and inspiration. Let's roll that interview. And we're back here on Creative Kaleidoscope, and we have a special in-studio guest, author, and amateur photographer, Reach Savage. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Reach. Good to be here, RD. <laughs> well, I know that Wilderness Exodus is your first novel, so how long did it take you to complete this from start to finish? I uh, actually, it's probably about six or seven months, what I... Actually, um, surprisingly to me, what I had a guard against was going too fast. Initially, I, I had so many ideas, and I thought about it for a long time, and I was puking words into the computer at a phenomenal rate, and, you know, I'd go back and read them the next day, and I'd find that I kind of got ahead of myself, you know. some Something happened, you know, a guy was you know, climbed a tree that got chopped down the day before, you know, it's like, oh, that's not going to work. So I had to slow myself down and actually figure out how to write a book, start the next day by reading everything that I wrote the day before, mm -hmm. and then, you know, pick it up. And I set a limit of 4,000 words a day. Wow. I found that if I got more than that, I was losing track of myself. I was there'd be holes in the plot and some stuff didn't make sense. So actually I thought I would have writer's block at some point, but it was the opposite of that. I was just ready to go and I had to put the brakes on a little bit. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of creative people often say, you know, that they're their own worst critics and things like that. Now, did you run into that yourself and how did you get past that if you did? I, I did, I, I suppose. Um, I had a couple of side jaunts and plot that I didn't care for, and I went back and did some rewrites and some things I didn't like, and you know, whacked out even some different chapters and different storylines I didn't want to follow. Um, I've written technical, not, not te technical manuscripts and stuff at work, so. I spent a lot of time writing and I have to write at a pretty high level professionally so I probably was a pretty tough critic of my own stuff. 
it worked for me. Cool, cool. So how daunting of a task was it to go from completion to published and to get it out to the masses? Well, I had to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. I I ended up self-publishing. I initially was going to try to attract the interest of a conventional publisher, but I found out pretty quickly um, maybe something that you could even relate to being in the media genre that if you don't have a name it's hard to get one mm-hmm. so I ended up interviewing if you will a few self-publishers mm-hmm. like Stafford and I think Rock Island was one I ended up with iUniverse and worked out a deal a package deal they call it where um, for X number of thousand dollars, you know, you get, you know, 50 author copies, 10 hard bound copies. They put out, uh, you know, a blanket email to 400,000 people who have expressed an interest in this genre, action, adventure, survival, mm-hmm. if you will. And um, also uh, the set it up so the book is offered on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and after that it kind of took off but it took me a minute to figure out how to go about doing it right on right on Um, I know that you know well first of all without spoiling anything can you tell us what the books about a little bit yeah it's Anybody who knows me, yourself included, it's not hard to figure out that it's there's a lot of me and my son in this book. It's uh, although it's not technically about us, but it certainly could be. Um, it's about a father and son that uh, have been saving up and dreaming about a flying fishing trip to Canada. Mm-hmm. So they save their money and they they drive up through the UP over the Sioux and get on a uh, uh, fly, flying uh, a float plane, mm-hmm. fly into Canada, and as they're flying, uh, the plane has trouble and it goes down. And the father and the son get separated. Neither one knows if the other one's alive or not, but they both had faith that the other one was alive, and they both... Um, work towards rectifying their situation, you know, getting getting back to civilization and, uh, you know, trying to find each other. And uh, that's wherein lies most of the story in, in what they went through to survive. And uh, as a... I, as a biologist, I have a degree in fisheries biology mm-hmm. that I got from Michigan State University. I'm fairly well versed in most things flora and fauna, mm-hmm. um, at least more than the layperson, you know. And I incorporated a lot of that, plus my own personal experience um, hunting and fishing and going into Canada and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my slant. It's a father and son story. There's of, of camaraderie and it's also survival adventure and um, there's enough to keep you going you know it pulls you ahead from chapter to chapter at least that's what I'm, I'm getting some reviews on Amazon and um, people like it and they say that uh, you know they were sorry when it was over yeah I, I personally think it's a super exciting book I like it very much and um, one thing that I wanted to ask is, where did you really draw the inspiration and come up with the idea for this novel specifically? Um, probably the, the flying fishing trips I had as a as a, a young man, and and also also as a as a teen, my father. We flew into Canada, and that really imprinted on me the whole mm-hmm. float plane thing and, and being in the middle of nowhere with. We had the wolves and moose, and you know they weren't a nuisance. But being they were there, and we saw them, we heard the wolves, and I was just 
completely totally enchanted by being in the wilderness mm -hmm. like this and being a lifelong fisherman and hunter and being somewhat versed in those things and the fact that I consider myself to be a, you know a capable writer and a wordsmith of sorts I suppose I've been told um, coupled with the fact that I always wanted to write a book um, that's kind of what got me got me uh, launched down the road to actually do it I had a couple of false starts mm -hmm. over the last 10 15 years just uh, never kept it up but uh, finally I just was determined that I was gonna go through with it and uh, and once I, I got to a certain point it kept flowing and it was real good cool cool now is there any specific locations that you really draw your inspiration from as far as you know the UP yeah yeah I do and, and you you will know mm -hmm. very well one of them we have a cottage up in Skeney Michigan which is northwest of Marquette right on Lake Superior mm -hmm. and uh, you, you've been up there with us a bunch of times and more many more times I hope um, and it's as close to wilderness as you can get pretty much and still be able to drive there and like have stores within 20 miles and you know a couple restaurants and stuff but it's it's really wild like yeah. we've had moose tracks on the beach wolf tracks you know on the beach there's been bears in the yard and uh there's wild shoreline all on lake superior on either side and then there's uh some islands that we go to mm -hmm. that you've been to mm -hmm. one of the coolest places in the world here on islands it's a wildlife refuge we take the boat up there and you know scale go scaling on the rocks and we have our four-wheelers up there we you know go way out in the woods you know you get to places where nobody's ever been except on a four-wheeler a snowmobile in the winter mm -hmm. or maybe a horse right and, oh yeah uh, one of the things too that i found one of the stories that i found very interesting that really encapsulates how wild it is up there was the story of your son Richie being on a four-wheel ride in the middle of the night and running into a pack of wolves yep yeah yep so. he uh it was an evening where my wife and I went to bed it's probably just after dark and we had and you and you, you did this when we were up there we used to and we still like to go for a trail ride at night because the night sky is so awesome and there's northern lights and you can get yourself on a hill way out in the middle of nowhere and no light pollution and so Richie with his fiance mm -hmm. or girlfriend at the time was taken off on one of these night rides and we we're my wife and I are laying there in bed we had the windows open we're listening to Lake Superior and the winds blowing through the trees and just peaceful and we hear the four-wheeler pull away and gradually the sound you know you can tell the vehicles moving farther away down the road never quite dies off then all of a sudden we hear it's coming back louder and he's just going through the gears and he just comes <laughs> flying into the yard sideways rocks are flying and he comes in the house and slams his helmet on the table and his girlfriend does too and he goes holy cow holy cow <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it I can't believe what we just saw and I said what 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 happened what happened wolves <laughs> or wolves I said wolves what are you talking about Because yeah we're we're driving uh, on the road across the marsh and we had our lights on these animals in front of us we thought they were deer because they almost always are deer mm -hmm. so I'm creeping up on them you know I'm not gonna bother them but I'm getting closer and all of a sudden they both stop and turn and uh look right at us yeah and they were like 25 yards away maybe and they and they're big big timber wolves yeah their lights were in you know glowing in the lights of the four-wheeler and i just spun around and i took off 
Yeah, like I know for me personally, that's the only thing that I haven't seen up there is is the wolves. I've seen coyotes, bears, moose, all that. Just never never had the chance to see the wolves. But um, one another thing that you are very good at is you're an amateur photographer, and I know a lot of the pictures that you take are absolutely phenomenal, and. What do you look for in the pictures that you take? What is something that you specifically look for? Obviously, good subject matter. Um, I like there to be a little bit of water, a little, a little bit of trees, you know, some rocks, but just something that's. I try to be as awe-inspiring and as breathtaking for the pictures as possible, and, and I want them to. When I look at them later, or whoever looks at them later, I mm -hmm. want them to feel like they can, you know, just embrace the feeling that I had when I took the pictures. And up in our place in the UP, there's so many possible vantage points for great photographs, you mm -hmm. know, from the top of Mount Baldy to the Huron Islands to our beach to... You know, anywhere all the way up to Copper Harbor and out in the woods, there's just a lot of material. And I try to take a shot that makes me remember what it felt like. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that I feel like people from Michigan, you know, especially the Lower Peninsula, don't really, a lot of people don't understand is the beauty of the Upper Peninsula and being on Lake Superior. Out of all of the Great Lakes, that's really the one I think with the most splendor for sure. It's a whole different feeling, you know. You go over the bridge, and it's an emotional experience for me. Actually, I I will tear up both ways <laughs> going over the bridge. You know, it's it's just my soul just starts to soar, and it seems like you pick up that UP smell, and it's just amazing. You can just feel the air come out. It's just like as you're going down the coast side, heading to the UP on the bridge. It's just. You know, you just, your cares melt away, you know, it's not where you really want to be. Right, right. <laughs> so would you say that a lot of the setting and stuff that you drew inspiration from for your book was from the UP and different experiences up there? Yeah, from the UP and also from, we flew into the location, basically where, the, where I was uh, I created the the story here, you know, based on that area of of northern Ontario. So having been there, and it, for all practical purposes, it looks pretty much like many areas of the UP around our place. Mm -hmm. So I felt pretty pretty good about you know using the experience that I gained right in the area around Skeeney and across the UP to uh, help me um, remember just what it looked like in uh, Northern Ontario. Cool. Now, where can you find your book for purchase? Where can the, the people find your book? It's on Amazon mm -hmm. under Wilderness Exodus by Reach Savage. You can also get it at Barnes and Noble. And I think iBooks, Kindle, it's for sale in a lot of places. I didn't even realize it was going to be for sale. But it's, uh, I've, I've gotten reviews out of the UK, out of South America, Portugal, Asia. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's I mean, awesome. not, not a ton, but it, they're, they're, they're out there. Yeah, people are reading it. So Amazon is, uh, is a good, good way to go. You can get it in a um, paperback such as this, mm -hmm. hardcover. Of course, most people nowadays are go for the uh, the electronic version, yeah, which, the digital download, which is downloadable to mm -hmm. your phone or your laptop or whatever you want to use. A lot of people are going that route, but cool. Now, is there what does the future hold as far as uh, mm. literature for you? Is there any any plans? I, I had every intention, and I still do, um, time permitting of writing a sequel to it mm -hmm. it's uh kind of set up if you will mm -hmm. for uh more to come 
and I might have to wait till I retire before I do that but that's not that far down the road so I, I really liked it I really enjoyed it I learned a lot I learned I have some different connections now and different ideas about how to do things um, I just I did I did learn a lot and I think I could write a better book that's awesome if you had and this is one question that I always like to ask guests on the show is if you had one piece of advice to give someone creative minded who's working on anything whether it be their first novel a piece of artwork photography what piece of advice would that be it's almost like you tell somebody who's starting a fitness program you know don't don't quit don't have the courage of your conviction you know have confidence in yourself finish what do it and finish it you know you you put enough thought into what it is you want to do based on lots of experience you've had in your life and you you are going to be good at it because that's what you like so do it have have the the nerve to just push push it through until you get it done and people will like it and there's you have friends right you know people people like mm -hmm. you and people are going to like your stuff and not everybody will but you don't do everything for everybody you know you you do it to fit the way you know the way you want it to be and just have the confidence and just do it definitely definitely well the book is wilderness exodus and reach savage thank you so much for joining us on creative kaleidoscope thanks a lot rd thanks for having me no problem and we'll be back after the break we'll finish up this week's painting it's all about you and that's the way we like it where you're going what you do to stay fit what you're eating what you're thinking and how you're feeling join the conversation at newradiomedia.com's lifestyles channel Stream the life you want to live. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. Guys, wait up. Hold on. Daddy said hold on. You know, I was thinking, Bill. Yeah. I'm ready for our show, and, and you're ready for the mm -hmm. show, but how do we let everyone know that we're ready for the show? Uh, slow motion rap video? Guys, Raphael with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geek Entertainment Weekly on New Radio Media. Turtle Power! Now let's see how this week's painting ended up looking. And we're continuing to work on the palm trees right now and just filling in the rest of the palm trees with more black from the acrylic paint pen and I'm just gonna fill the rest of the tree in really quickly with the black the base layer black because we're still gonna go over the tree again with some white to really define those lines and give it some more detail
And just filling it in. And you're just staying inside the design that you worked out. And now adding the second tree trunk. The guiding line for the trunk. And we're just going to do our little M's again. We're starting from the bottom. And just working them up. Until we get to the palm fans. And the same way we do the trunk, we do the palm fans. Just some single lines to as guiding lines for the leaves to really start out the leaves how we want them to be. And just filling them in. And again, it's much easier to use the acrylic paint pens once your aerosol paint has dried. It's just so key to getting a good look, a good tone, nice definition from your paint, and it doesn't ruin your pens. But if your paint is a little wet, make sure you keep cleaning the tip off your paint pen, otherwise you will ruin your paint pen, which is frustrating. So now that I've got the black base done, I am going to just kind of finish some details on it. And we're about ready to switch up paint pens to the white paint pen. Now you can also do these palm trees with aerosol paint and a paintbrush and your palette knife. Sometimes that actually looks a little better, but, you know, it's all preference. Everybody has their own way of doing things. I like doing it this way, just a little bit easier. And I think it gives it some more pop. And it gives you the mixed media juxtaposition of the difference between acrylic and aerosol paints which is actually pretty cool. And now we're just finishing the details on the first palm tree with the white paint pen. And then we're going to do the second thing. We're going to do the same thing to the second palm tree. And remember when you're using the white on top of the black, again, make sure that the black paint has dried because you don't want to ruin the tip of your white paint pen, which is very easy to ruin because, you know, it's white. Well, just work out the details and how you want your palm trees to look. And that kind of makes them pop against the background and get that nice signature in there. Sign and date if you want it. And now I'm actually going to touch up those lines I was talking about earlier that I did with the palette knife to give them some more def definition. Just kind of filling them in with the white. And just kind of doing them randomly. And also touching up the waterfall. Making sure it really looks like it's got the directional flow going and just filling in some of the little gaps. And kind of the finishing touches. And you can see here where we've added the lines and this is the finished product. As always, thank you very much for checking out the show this week. And remember, I would love to see some of the artwork that you are creating. Feel free to share it with us on the Creative Kaleidoscope Facebook page at CK Podcast or on Twitter at CK Vidcast. If there are any episodes you've missed, you can check them out anytime on demand on NewRadioMedia.com or download the app from your app store. Just search NRM Streams with a Z. I'll see all of you the same time, same place, only here on New Radio Media. Peace.